Coming up, today's guest is Scott Silver, Partnerships Manager at Mammoth Media, creators of highly popular apps such as Yarn and Wishbone. You'll discover how to incorporate influencers in your app, how to build relationships with senior executives, and his approach to working with some major brands like Skype and Starbucks. Stay tuned. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Want to double your downloads using ASO? Check out appmastersacademy.com to discover our exact ASO strategies to grow your downloads. That's appmastersacademy.com. Want to advertise through Snapchat influencers at scale? Check out fanbytes.com and see why brands like Universal and Sony Music use them to market on Snapchat. Learn more at fanbytes.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of App Masters, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to growing your app business because I bring on some phenomenal guests to share their story so that we can get action-packed content and really, really dig, dig deep into the weeds of how we can grow our collective businesses. And today I've got a phenomenal guest. I met him at the App Growth Summit in New York where I got to be the MC. Thank you, Louie. And I love this presentation and they're behind, the company is behind amazing apps. You guys probably have heard of them, Yarn, wishbone so without further ado let me introduce you to scott silver he is the partnerships manager at mammoth media you can check out the website you know the apps it is mammoth.la scott welcome to the show thank you so much thanks for having me excited to be here scott look when i went on your site i told you this too i was like what i didn't know if you guys created the app these apps because they're like humongous apps like did they create it or did they just promote it but did you guys start off with mammoth of always wanting to be a media company and just apps was like the distribution platform yeah it's a great question i think the origin of mammoth is super interesting and i think very kind of core to la uh we are uh, really excited about the growth we've had over the last year and change as mammoth media but the genesis of the story uh, our CEO, Benoit, has an ad tech background. So he came into the uh, the building of Science Inc. in Santa Monica, which was one of the initial seed investors mm-hmm. of Mammoth. And, uh, you know, he comes from, he helped run the Playhaven business. So he has a very strong technical background around growing apps, how to monetize them, how to you know, be a user acquisition expert. And that's really core to a lot of who we are. And I can spend more time on that later on today. Yes. Uh, but the original sort of thesis was, you know, we had been doing a lot of work helping other companies think about their growth strategy. Um, what does user acquisition mean at scale? Uh, what are the right channels to spend on as you grow your business? And then how do you retain those users once you have them? And over time, it became clear that in, in addition to helping you know, outside uh, customers of you know, giving that skill set to other folks, if we could come up with content that we were really excited about internally, uh, why not take those, those skills and, you know, have them benefit us directly. And so the original incarnation of Mammoth was our first app, which was Wishbone, which is a teen female social app polling service. And uh, it's really the the beginning of a long journey of creating fun, lightweight entertainment, content experiences 
mobile first, you know, everything we build is app driven. And that's been, that's the beginning of the journey. And, you know, a couple of years later, we've got three apps in the portfolio now and continue to find new ways to entertain uh, young people, millennials on their smartphones. And we're kind of just getting started, which is exciting. That's really cool. And I love the step-by-step process because I think a lot of times, you know, I had a presentation I did last night about we have this idea and then like victory, right? Like our initial idea always turns into victory and like, oh, this is going to be huge. I can't tell anybody. And I love that it was like, hey, we started out just helping clients, like people grow their apps. And then we're like, now we kind of understand this and we know what works and let's let's use some of our knowledge and grow in our own apps. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the, the, the lead, some of the thesis statements for the company are really, um, if you're going to win as a mobile media company in 2018, if you start your business now, uh, you really got to find a path to owning the distribution and monetization and audience acquisition of your users. And you can't rely on the big social behemoths um, to drive all your traffic to you. You see a lot of the legacy web publishers you're leveraging the Facebooks of the world and when one algorithm change away from really uh, scrambling to find how you're going to continue to drive usage. So uh, we're thrilled that um, in addition to partnering with those folks, we own and distribute our own strategy. And so we're in control of our own destiny, which is fantastic. What do you mean own the distribution channel for this? Or like, are you talking yeah, about acquisition so, too? Or? Yeah. So the, the example would be if you look at some of the, the web publishers who have sort of transitioned into mobile web traffic, and even on their own app traffic, you know, a lot of those folks are reliant on a ton of percentage of their traffic coming from Facebook or mm-hmm. from Instagram or from some of the other uh, web publishers. Uh, and so what our strategy is, in addition to leveraging those social channels, uh, we, we own a lot of the strategy around we're going to go out and, and acquire users on our own terms. We do all of that work in-house. So we have a very strong uh, muscle around organizational muscle around user acquisition, business intelligence, business analytics to understand where we spend our money and we spend it smartly. And we understand not just the acquisition costs initially, but what is the LTV of the users coming through the pipes such that it makes our decisions on where we're going to continue to invest and, and sort of divest. So uh, we own the distribution. All of our users are owned by us. And when we have hit based uh, content, you know, when Wishbone turned out to be a success, when yeah. Yarn turned out to be a success, we're in control of that relationship. We own it directly. Uh, we're not reliant on a third party to help us drive engagement with our users. So um, that's kind of what I mean by owning the distribution piece. Got it. Because you think about, especially because you're talking about from a media angle. Yeah, you're so right. Like most of these media companies are getting traffic from Facebook, sharing, people following, liking their Facebook page. And you're not really owning those users. You're just relying on Facebook. So if they go somewhere else, boom, you're gone as well. And so I kind of right. get what you're saying. Cool. I love it. Now, talk to me about this. Like, I want to take a step by step. Like, when you, how, when did you guys know that Wishbone was going to be a success? Like, did you guys do any type of soft launch? Did you guys just have this idea or like, were you like, okay, we got this. Like, how did you know that it was going to be a success? Well, you know, let me, let me speak about the yarn experience because okay. I was, I've been around for the whole genesis of that project. Wishbone's actually been around for about two and a half years. So uh, predates my time at Mammoth. But I think you look at Yarn as a really interesting case study of what's going on in the way users engage and consume content and how can we create inter- interesting entertainment experiences to meet them where they are on their mobile phone, already engaging in behavior that they do every day. Uh, and in this case, it's you know text messaging. If you talk to anybody, any young person in your life, nieces or nephews or children, 
Um, they're kind of glued to their phones for better or for worse. And the way that they communicate with their family, with their friends is through messaging of some sort, whether that's on, you know, Facebook messenger, Snapchat messenger, uh, direct message on Instagram, you know, iMessage, WhatsApp, et cetera. There's this whole proliferation of messaging. That's how users are consuming content in a lot of ways. And so our team was very thoughtful around, okay, how can we repurpose old school storytelling, you know, building characters, building plot lines, building narrative in a new form factor that addresses how people are consuming that content. And so we started testing a couple stories with this new format where, you know, Yarn is essentially a short form storytelling app. We call it micro storytelling because all of our stories are between 90 seconds and two minutes in length often. And you tap on the screen and you get a chat bubble with a piece of, of dialogue and you chat, tap again and another character chimes in and all of a sudden you tap away and you're unfolding an entire story before your eyes. And so uh, I think that's a great example of, you know, find ways that users are engaging and consuming content today and bring our strategy to them where they are. And it's been a really strong success, uh, you know, about a right, right around a year anniversary of Yarn, thrilled at the growth. And, you know, it's really a new way that this generation is consuming storytelling content. It's fantastic. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, was Hooked Out, so it's very similar to Yarn, but was it hooked out, was hooked out before Yarn? And what were you guys seeing in the market and how did you guys adapt from Hook being out in the, the market as well? Yeah, I think, you know, people ask us, you know, there's a couple, there's certainly a couple of competitors in the space, Hooked, uh, Wattpad, right. uh, TXT. I think the big differentiator for us is our focus on premier sort of uh, IP and or uh, professional storytelling. So whereas some of these other partners or some of these other folks out there are helping take an angle where it's like, hey, we want to crowdsource the next generation of writers or we want people to be able to contribute to the story. No knock on them. You know, that's a fantastic way for them to build their business. For us, we're really more interested on all of our stories are written by professional writers. And that's always going to be the case. And you're going to continue to see us sort of up level our the quality of our content to push forward in this sort of more premium storytelling way. So um, I think that there's certainly room for more than one player in the space. And you know, our, both of our successes is, is proof of that. And we're very happy that we've taken this more premium approach. It certainly means that we, we spend more time and we're very thoughtful about what content is working and uh, what content needs to move off the app, but uh, it allows us to sort of chart that territory and own that part of this world. Yeah, congratulations. Like the app's number four in books and then it's always in the top 50 like these things are ridiculous and i see that you actually guys you guys actually hired people from the the writers from saw the movie one of my favorites especially the first one that was the first one's the best one yeah that's uh you know that's a great example of uh again going back to the, the being based in los angeles which is i think unique for us in this space, it lets us tap into the ecosystem here. You know, we have budding relationships with all the major studios in Hollywood. We've actually brought people into the company that are, you know, have a track record of success as you know, content leaders. And it's that example that you highlighted, this sort of a fun um, story we did called Hacked, where we did work with one of the writers of Saw and brought it to life in this new format. Is just the beginning of how we're going to bring premium talent uh, into the product and let users continue to engage the content in the same way, but um, further investing in sort of premium level style content for us. So uh, saw, or I'm sorry, hacked is just the first of many projects to come and 
season two of Hacked is coming soon too. So stay tuned for that. Well, I always thought it was a chat story. So there's video content with Hacked too? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we're always curious about is how can we further grow uh, the way that people consume? And I think the reality is bread and butter for us is always going to be text. That's sort of the, the genesis of how we started. But where it makes sense editorially, uh, we're very open to experimenting. And so in the hacked example, there is some full, full screen video and some of the other stories we've worked on with some of our brand partners. There's multimedia images. And so uh, we're not afraid to, to blend the tech stories with images and video where, where it makes sense. One of the awesome things about Yarn in general is uh, the data-driven approach we're taking to making editorial decisions. And so because every tap, we're able to see now, what type of velocity a user moves through a story or, you know, if a user starts to drop off halfway through the story, we can tell at the line item when a user is no longer engaged in the content. And that lets us very clearly understand when we bring images into the product or we bring video into the product, is that helping or hurting consumption? And I think the ability to bring um, a data-driven approach to storytelling um, is so- solving a need not just for for us in terms of decision making, but it's real value to traditional Hollywood. You know, just a quick side note, you think about pilot season in traditional Hollywood, it's a very expensive endeavor to, you know, go find a spec script and, you know, hire a team of production people to go shoot that first episode. That's a tremendous amount of cost there with no real guarantee that the audience is going to jive with that. Uh, we're, we're excited and we're very bullish on the ability to bring storytelling experimentation to some of our traditional Hollywood partners and test a story on yarn that might be the beginnings of a pilot for a traditional Hollywood script and get some real feedback from us if it's working or it's not. So I think that's that's a fun tidbit that that we share uh, with some of our partners and they're really excited to finally have some data, you know, influence some of their editorial decision-making. Yeah, that's really cool. Talk to me about like the, the acquisition side of things. Like how are you guys able to, I know Wishbone was already out when Yarn came out. So you kind of leveraged that Wishbone audience to get to Yarn. But what else did you guys do to really get it to the top charts? Totally. You know, I think, um, you know, going back to that theme around owning distribution, audience acquisition, you you have to uh, put your money where your mouth is, you know, to be frank, we have a significant investment in our own user acquisition marketing organization, both in terms of the dollars we spend uh, to grow our audience, but also in the talent of the people who are running that organization. You know, we do not farm out our growth to an outside agency. We think it's extremely important to own that discipline Mm -hmm. in-house and work very collaboratively, not just on the buying side of the traffic, but also um, working hand in hand with our operations analytics team. You know, we have a very, very strong pulse on how things are going from initial day one retention all the way through how people are um, converting at the end of the 30 day period or what's our, our, our payback and all that good stuff. And so, you know, coming from a place like Twitter where I was at before working with app developers on some of the um, ad products that Twitter was selling to the app developer community, you know, things like LTV and conversion rate and re-engagement, all those, those sort of buzzwords were something I knew uh, more than probably your average sort of media salesperson but coming into Mammoth, it's completely another level of sophistication and super impressed with the team's ability to own that internally. Um, and I think it's one, to be honest, I think it's one of our true competitive advantages as we build this media company. Now, without giving anything away, are you able to share any specific, like what's been working for you, whether it's influencer marketing, Facebook ads, 
anything, any type of specifics you can share, uh, Scott? I would just say that, you know, we're, we're, we're always testing. We're always learning. We're always doing interesting work across all these channels. Um, if you look at the, the hacked story, you know, that was a partnership with an influencer on Instagram who was really excited about uh, maybe taking the next step in her personal career and moving from Instagram fame to traditional Hollywood success as an actress. And so, um, you know, the, you know, that's one of the things that we are really curious about is like, could this help drive a lot of the uh, consumption that we were hoping to? And, you know, that's a great example where influencer success was really, really strong. You know, we're, we're thrilled about that program and not just on the storytelling side, but also on the, uh, the way that it helped drive buzz on social and drove engagement of yarn as well. So was she um, short hand, in the show, ahead, was she in the videos? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was, a, that was a collaboration where yeah. you know, she was fe- featured as an actress in the, in the content. Uh, we had, you know, the whole concept was that there was a, a sort of this uh, online guy who was stalking her essentially and ultimately stole, tried to hack her live feed, you know, sort of a fake live feed that she was running for her fans and her, her, her followers. And so she participated in this all the way through to what it looked like her Instagram feed was actually hacked in real life, although it was a collaboration with us. And all of her fans are so passionate. You know, they're mentioning at Instagram, you know, somebody hacked Kristen's feed. And, you know, it was hilarious for me to see how excited and how passionate her fans were. But the end results on the business side were that it drove tremendous virality for us and uh, not just uh, in terms of the social, the buzz, but to be honest, you know, driving people to download yarn to, re- to consume the, the hack story in our, in our format. So, uh, awesome example of that partnership and, you know, not just the influencer side, but that all the traditional blocking and tackling of spending smart on the channels that are working. You know, we do a lot of that as well. I love that. I love that. I, I've noticed that when we've done any type of influencer marketing for our clients, it is generally when we can get the influencer not just be like, hey, go check out Yarn, but like really be engaged in the app and produce content within the app. Man, that works way better. You may not get the da- like the pure downloads, but you get way better engagement through something like that. Absolutely. And it's, it's just it's, it's a totally different ballgame of authentic speaking to, to fans in a way that's uh, you can't recreate that in, in an ad buy. So we're, we're thrilled about it. I think it shows the muscle of the organization to be creative, be thought provoking, you know, push the boundaries, but also, you know, make sure we're able to measure everything and, and come out of that program and say, was this a success and, and understand the health and the, the engagement of the users who came through that channel. So, uh, it's a sophisticated organization here. Really, really proud of what we're doing on that side. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but with that, this campaign have did that outperform just like working with an influencers to talk about yarn. If you guys have compared the two, uh, you know, I think we we're testing a bunch of different ways. Uh, we have some folks who are uh, fans of yarn and they're you know reading, uh, engaging sort of thriller style yarn stories on their YouTube pages. That's been successful for us. <laughs> I was so, going to mention um, a story about that. <laughs> yeah, so you know, um, we have a team of people who are thinking about that and. Uh, that's not something that I spend a lot of time on, but it's, it's exciting to see us test the boundaries and all this stuff. And yeah, when things are working well, we're going to continue to invest in them. Like, like any smart business. What Scott, my son watches these two girls 
read yarn stories on their YouTube channel. And there's all they're doing is you see them on the sides and then the yarns right in the middle. And they're just like reading it. And that's what he's watching. I'm like, wait, is he into girls now? Is that like, is this what this means? Like, I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea what's happening here. That's awesome. How, how old is your son? He's nine. It's about the time wow. I got into wow. girls, right? Like, I'm like, it's about the time. It's right there. That's so funny. That's awesome. You know, Scott, I said, I told my wife, when he starts doing his hair, because his hair is a freaking mess every morning, when he starts doing his hair, that's when you know. That's when you know he's starting to get into girls. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. So let's talk about this. Like, you went to Haas. Did you grow up in the Bay Area? I actually grew up in LA. Okay. So uh, this this transition back to join the team at Mammoth was a bit of a homecoming for me. I was living in New York City for a couple of years, and uh, but you know went went up to Berkeley for college, and then lived in San Francisco for about five years, and uh, then jumped to New York, and now I'm back in LA. So I've been you know, been around a couple of different parts of the coast for sure. Yeah. What's been your favorite so far? You know, it's funny people ask me that. Uh, I think. Everything's been uh, right, the right time for me at the right moment in my life. So, you know, San Francisco was a great, you know, for me, a starter city to like live in an urban environment and, um, you know, be exposed to the network of Haas and the alumni side, but also just other people working in Silicon Valley. Got my first job in tech there. And so, you know, thrilled about my time there and, and kind of helped me understand who I was as a human being. But really, it was after five years of living there, kind of craving a, a change of scenery and being a West Coast guy, I had always thought New York was an interesting place to spend some time as a young person. And so moved to New York with Twitter when I was working for them. And you know, I have to say that that was a magical couple of years, um, you know, really, really fond memories of my time there, both personally and professionally. But now I'm kind of ready to, to set some roots. And I think coming back to Los Angeles, you know, our offices in Santa Monica, two blocks from the beach. You know, it's a very, very great lifestyle and uh, love the team here and, you know, the work that we're doing. So it's all worked out really well. And I think this is a great place for me at this point in my life. So uh, no complaints at all. I feel very lucky. I would love to live in Santa Monica. Like I was telling my wife, like we should just move down here. I just love it so much. It's so, it's so great. It's like the best of LA, I think all in one. All right, Scott. So you're, you're, like you said, you're in at Google, you're a young dude back then. And you said, Hey, you know, I got to build some really great relationships with senior executives. Now I was at Walmart and I was like 20 something. And then CEO would come walmart.com CEO of walmart.com would come. And I just like tensed up. Like I could not say a thing to him. Like I could not say hi. His name was Carter. I was like, I didn't know what to say. How are you able to build these relationships with senior executives at such a young age? Yeah. I think it's a great question. You know, one of the, I mean, there's so many amazing things about Google in terms of a place to work. But one of the things that I've learned both at Google and at Twitter, you know, to be honest, these big, big tech companies really invest in their people in a, in a remarkable way. And as a young person, you know, sitting down with your manager in a very sort of uh, controlled setting or weekly one-on-ones where you know, building that muscle around creating an agenda for that one-on-one manage like learning what the, what managing up even means as a concept let alone putting it into practice and incur being encouraged to ask questions to seek out coffee chats with senior leadership um and i felt like when i got to twitter i was so well versed in how big tech companies operate that you know i was able to sort of uh, make an make an impact and show um how we were gonna how, how i was gonna build my my brand inside the company so i remember uh, right away, you know, spending time 
sitting down with all the senior sales leaders at Twitter as soon as I possibly could to just kind of get a sense of uh, who they were and, and let them know who I was and what I wanted to accomplish. So um, I think it's just about experience and getting repetition and, you know, impressing people early on with their first impression of you and mm-hmm. not taking for granted their time and just understanding like they have something to give. And at the end of the day, sales leadership at the people management level is really about building your team. And so it's, it's their job to sort of sit down with you and be present to that conversation as well. So feeling like you have the right to have the conversation in the first place and, and empowered to take that step is the first big thing. And then just following through and continuing to build that relationship over time. Yeah. Um, and I'm th- thankful to, to Google for, you know, setting the tone early for me that that was like the way to conduct yourself in an organization of that size. Scott, I had this horrible interaction with Dwayne Kuyper, who is a San Francisco Giants announcer. And I was like, holy crap, yeah. he's right here. Like, this is great. He he lives in our neighborhood. Like, not, we're close together. And I was like, okay, I'm going to say hi to him. I'm going to say hi to him, right? And I just had this very, as you can tell, like, I'm very awkward. <laughs> I don't know how to talk to these people. But what is your opener? You said you got to make a good first impression. So how do you like to, mine was horrible. How do you like to make that good first impression? Yeah, I think, you know, a couple of things like do your homework, you know, learn about this person's background, uh, get a sense of where they've come before. Um, if you can understand what makes them tick, I think that's super interesting. Uh, you know, also just sort of have a certain presence about yourself that you should be taken seriously. And uh, when so I, I like the, the, the word kind of quiet confidence where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm excited to be here. And I think I can contribute to this organization. And here's why. And you know, having a strong um, understanding of who you are and what you bring to the table and that will just permeate, you know, it's all about energy and, and presence. And if you show up into a space for that coffee, you know, prepared and confident, I think that goes a long way. And you know, the reality is a lot of people don't, don't take those steps to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so just by initiating the conversation and saying, Hey, you know, I'm new on the team. I'm excited to be here. I'd love to you know spend some time with you this week and get to know one another better. And, do you mind if I put some time for a 15 minute coffee on the calendar? Like taking that initiative, I think what goes a long way. And then, you know, following through and showing up uh, when you get that booked on the calendar is the other piece of that. So, um, you know, that's my strategy and it's, and I think it's served me well in my career so far. That's awesome. I love it. And I think that's the hardest thing for me. It's like, what do I say? And I was like, Hey, uh, Mr. Kuiper. <laughs> I was like, I, I just fumbled on that. So the last thing I want to end with Scott is, you know, you man- manage a ton of partnerships at Mammoth. Like what's your process? Like for me personally, and I'm selfishly asking this, you know, I've been thinking about like, how do I grow at masters bigger, finding the right partners to really collaborate with, you know, what is your process? Like, like walk me through that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I think for us, uh, because we're we are still relatively new in the market, uh, we've got to find ways to find the right people who are just interested immediately in what we're doing and could see some real value from partnering together. So uh, what I mean by that is, you know, we can't boil the ocean. It's a small partnerships team. So you have to be very thoughtful about how you're spending your time and effort. And so you'll come up with a particular, you know, attack plan of, of all the brands in the world I could work with, you know, let's boil it down to my top 20 that I want to really spend, uh, invest in, not just um, getting to know what their interests are in terms of their partnership strategy and where they've spent advertising dollars and partnership dollars in the past, but also um, on the people side, you know, at the end of the day, making a deal with another human across the table. It's not just a you know, big brand uh, in a vacuum. And so, 
whether that's on the agency side, people who are repping these brands and sort of looking for interesting, cool and ideas that make um, them look good in, in their conversation with the end client or uh, people at the brand themselves and people who you got to find people who are excited to do cool new things. You know, we are a cool new company. So if you're just looking for your standard uh, rinse and repeat campaign on Instagram, we're probably uh, not a good fit for you. But if you're looking for disruptive new ways to tell brand messaging and to an audience that frankly doesn't want to be a message to, um, that's a, a type of person that we want to talk to. And so putting those feelers out there and it's, it's just sort of like any relationship. If there's chemistry and there's engagement and there's curiosity, mm-hmm. um, that starts the flywheel of, okay, cool. You guys clearly get what we're doing. Um, Mammoth isn't going to be immediately understood by everybody, but the people who get it right away and who lean in, um, those are the type of people that we want to spend more and more time getting to know and, and bring. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's on me to show value as quickly as possible in that conversation so that they find this a worthwhile use of their time. You know, it, it's important for me to showcase what we can do on your arm, showcase what we can do on wishbone and what we're working on for the rest of our portfolio so that they get the picture very clearly that this is the type of team I want to work with. I appreciate Scott and the partnership team, um, what they're bringing to the table. And uh, we go from there. So um, don't boil the ocean, focus in on what you bring to the table right away. And you'll find that chemistry with the people at the other side of the table uh, to build those relationships quickly and and move from ideas to uh, execution as quickly as you can. Is there a partner example that you want to bring up? I know there's a few that I've seen through your presentation, but is there one particular you want to bring up? Yeah, I think one of the ones we're really proud of is uh, the partnership with Skype. You know, they came to us asking uh, for new ways to engage a younger audience on, you know, the Skype features and brand. I think everybody, you know, whether you're 20 years old or 30 years old or 60 years old knows what Skype is as a brand. Very strong brand recognition at the company. But, you know, I, I didn't even know that they had launched really rich group video calling features. You know, that was something that, that was one of their goals to like educate people on this new feature set that they had and bring people back into Skype away from the WhatsApps and the messengers that had sort of come since then, FaceTime. And so what we did together was using Yarn as this creative brand storytelling canvas. We wrote three original franchises for them. Um, I'll give one example. It was called Still Searching. And it's a 10-episode series around a young girl finishing college who is sort of looking for identity in her professional life. She's trying to find a job. And she's kind of going crazy living at home after college. And she's just chatting with her friends in this yarn story. And all of a sudden she starts to get interviews and she goes on those interviews via Skype video calling. And so every episode is this fun, engaging video conference essentially where we actually produce and shoot and cast actors to play those roles. And so it's moves from text and into the, what looks like a skinned version of the Skype user experience for um, the group video calling feature, like I mentioned. So that's our way to sort of social norm the brand and into the stories. So we're really excited about what we accomplished there. Some really interesting data around uh, brand recall and sort of lift around, hey, after I read the story, they have a higher percentage recall on that fact that Skype even had these features. So really pumped about doing more with them and also bringing other brands to the table who understand the value that a, a product like Darn can bring that is certainly different from more traditional ad buys. But um, like I said, you know, 
the right right partner sees the value and, and wants to sort of work together on a creative execution together. So I think Skype is a really good example of doing just that. How long does it take, Scott, from saying Skype saying, yes, let's do the deal, and to you guys like maybe even coming up with the concepts to actually filming it, producing it, and getting it live on Yarn? What's that process? Yeah, it's a good question. I think one of the things that I love you know, being in this partnership chair is that uh, I can bring the full strength of the company to a meeting. You know, what I mean by that is uh, we have a small, we're a startup, you know, we're a nimble team of hungry, excited people. And uh, on the content side in particular, you know, that team can turn around things much faster than people expect. So um, I would say about, you know, four to six weeks of creative back and forth. And what we've actually found is one of the hiccups in our creative processes, not actually on the mammoth side, but when you're working with big, big companies who want to partner with us, they have a round of uh, feedback and review and approvals ultimately that, that takes the most time. So if we have a partner who can be nimble with us in that process, you know, we'll cast a writer, we'll write a, uh, some treatments, send those back and forth. And then we get into script development and, and writing and, and improving that script. You know, once we have the script finalized, it takes about a week or two to, to cast and shoot the video components of it. And, we can be live in the app really six weeks after the initiation. Wow. So it's, it's exciting that we can deliver on that. Um, and so, yeah, you know, PSA for anybody out there, you know, the, the benefits of the, working with us are not just sort of tapping into these new channels of media consumption, but we bring to bear the, the creative firepower and strength of our content team. And so, you know, the work that we've done already, I think is, a reflection of the, the quality of like the fit and finish around that stuff is, is very, very strong. So I'm sort of a proud ambassador of that team when we talk to brands. Beautiful stuff. Well, Scott, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. What is one app we definitely have to check out? Yeah, this is, this isn't going to be, uh, I mean, I'll give you, I'm a big music fan. So, um, you know, I'm a huge consumer of, uh, Spotify discover weekly. That probably isn't a shocker to a lot of people, but I do, I do love also hype machine. It's been around for a couple of years now. It's a music blog aggregator. So it sort of pulls together the top tracks that are trending across the internet into this really fun, easy, easy to consume uh, app. I'm a big fan of, of hype machine between that and discover weekly sort of get to get my music tracks together and actually kind of co-dj the office soundtrack so it's, nice. it's, it's a small hat that i wear at the company <laughs> which I, I love doing every week so very thankful to spotify discover for keeping keeping the music fresh at the office <laughs> that's awesome when does it get really bumping around four o'clock <laughs> yeah man it's so funny to it, it, you can feel the energy change when we when we move a little bit to a little bit more uh, dancey focused stuff certainly in the late afternoon hours absolutely that's cool <laughs> how close are you guys to the pier are you guys pretty close to it uh, oh man we're we're literally about a block and a half away oh it's so yeah. jealous so jealous yeah. I love it yeah. what's yeah. the one takeaway that you want the audience to leave with uh, I think you know uh, lean into what you're curious about you know if, if you want to take a, a, a leap of faith and, and join a small company I, I'm a big fan of that and been lucky to work at Google and Twitter on the sort of big tech side, which has provided a ton of experience and has grown my network really quickly in a very awesome way. But, you know, always looking to flow to impact. And I think you can really accomplish that much more quickly at a small and humble organization. So you know, the task before you is to find a good fit um, and you know, surround yourself with smart people 
but if you can do that in a small environment, I think it's, it's a win for your career. And, and I would say if you're, if you're contemplating doing something like that, go for it. Um, you know, the, the worst case scenario is you learn a lot along the way. And, uh, I'm a big believer in that. So, um, you know, that's, that's my last parting, parting thought. That's awesome, Scott. Well, the app is Yarn and Wishbone. You guys already know about those app. And if you're a big brand out there, you want to connect, go check out mammoth.la. Scott, you want to send the audience anywhere else? You personally too? Oh, uh, sure. You can check out my Twitter, uh, the Scott Silver, and love to connect with folks there or LinkedIn or wherever. So I uh, look forward to, to hearing from everybody. Thanks so much. Awesome. Well, if you got anything out of this, Scott's Twitter use handle is linked up to his name. So just click his name on your favorite podcast app. You'll go right to Scott and find a way to thank the guests like I'm about to do now. Scott, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. My pleasure, man. We had a blast. Thanks for having us. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.